I do believe that one of the obligations of the pastor, I don't know if you've started recording or not, but I'd like for you to go ahead and get all of this on on the, the recording. All right. One of the obligations of a pastor is to combat false doctrine. Well, praise God. And um, the only way to really combat false doctrine is to present true doctrine. I've, I've never worked in a bank. I don't know if it's true. I've heard conflicting reports. But I have been told that tellers are not trained to feel counterfeit money by being handed counterfeit money. But instead, they just handle enough of the real. That when counterfeit comes their way, it's a lot easier to detect it. Hallelujah. And so I could spend a lot of time going through the false doctrines that are out there. But I believe it is much more beneficial to us for me to just give you the true doctrine. And over the last several months, we've had a couple of doctrines that have been perpetrated and promoted to try to attack and destroy this church. And, and one has been dealt with many times. In fact, Brother Taunton did it again the other night without even knowing that he had. But, but there are those who have tried to convince people that you don't need a pastor telling you how to live. That you don't have to submit to apostolic authority. And I want to tell you the reason that they tell you that is because they themselves are living a life of rebellion. Well, praise God. And so we have, we, many men have come through and, and it's been dealt with and dealt with and dealt with. And I hope, I hope that that issue has been settled around here. Praise God. There is yet another doctrine that, that has been perpetrated and promoted. Yea, and even taught to people that are here tonight. To try to go against what has been preached and taught in this church. And, and so tonight, though I have done it before, I'm telling you for days this is all I have felt. And I really wrestled in myself, is this really what I need to do tonight? But I couldn't fail. I could not feel any other direction for this service. And and I, you know, with especially with the kind of worship that we had, I would love to just preach tonight. But I feel like teaching tonight. And and I'm going to do some teaching tonight on on a subject that I feel like is vitally important, and and that I know is extremely scriptural in fact Jesus dealt with this subject more than he dealt with the subject of hell or heaven praise God yet people resent it when preachers deal with this for some reason but it's a biblical subject and it's got to be addressed and I'm the man Hallelujah. 
So tonight I want you to turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse number 30. Praise God. Everyone say praise the Lord. I still feel the Holy Ghost around here. I hope that you do too. And I know that if you'll just continue in a spirit of worship, even though we're teaching, we can still have church around here tonight. Praise God. In fact, really, I'm finding that at least for me, the only difference between teaching and preaching is when I'm teaching, I use a few more scriptures. I try to use a lot when I'm preaching too, but when I'm teaching, I really use a lot. And that's about the only difference that I can think of, at least in my life. Leviticus chapter 27, beginning with verse number 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Everyone say, it's the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Everyone say, it is holy. And if a man will at all redeem all of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Everyone say, the tenth is holy. Amen. And so tonight, what happened to my screen? Let's keep it up. Hallelujah. All right. Don't ever black it out the whole night. Just keep it up there. Amen. All right. What's going on? Just put new batteries in my clicker. If you see me pointing this thing, you're going to have to pay close attention to me tonight. If you see me pointing it, you should click it, and it should go on. Don't tell me it's not going to work. Well, in Jesus' name. Get back there, Brandon. I'll read the scriptures. You get back there and get that thing fixed. Amen. Until we get there, I'm going to go ahead and start teaching. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'll just keep pushing. Maybe it'll catch you in here somewhere. Amen. I am going to talk tonight on a subject that when I went back and checked my records, it has been at least three years, maybe longer since I've taught on this subject. And I think that's plenty long enough. Praise God. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about God's holy tithe. God's holy tithe. Amen. Praise God. Well, if it doesn't work, we can leave the coins up there and keep you reminded of what we're talking about. <laughs> Hallelujah. Would you pray with me right now? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. When I'm combating false doctrine, the devil hates that. Do you understand that, church? The devil does not want me to teach what I'm going to teach tonight. I know that most of you believe this, but I'm telling you, the more that it's taught, the more it's confirmed in your mind, and then the false teachers cannot lead you astray. And if there are one or two here tonight who don't believe it, pay close attention tonight, because I'm preaching to you. Well, praise God. Let's pray right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I ask you, God, to help me tonight. Lord, I know, God, that there is spiritual opposition. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help me, God, to break the bread of life. I pray you would enlighten minds. I pray, God, you would touch hearts. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you, God, to grant revelation to the truth, Lord, of this that you put upon my heart. God, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let's praise him again, everybody.
Come on, let's praise the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Amen. Now, one other thing I want to say, uh, and you can be seated, but I want to say this to our sound man tonight, that I have said in the past that when I'm teaching on Thursday night, I don't want it on the website. Tonight is an exception. I do want this put on our website. I want everybody that's not here tonight to be able to listen to it for free. Well, praise God. And I want those that have tried to teach you otherwise to be able to listen to it for free. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And so let, let me start out tonight. I know that my, I have read as my text of Scripture. All right, we're getting somewhere. Let's see what happens here. Well, hallelujah. All right. Let me, let, let me say something here. I have started out with a, with a passage as my text that comes from the Old Testament. And there are those who will take exception to the fact that I'm teaching you from the Old Testament. But we need to understand as apostolics how important the Old Testament is to us. Amen. Some feel that the tithe is not necessary because, uh, because it has its roots in the Old Testament. But there are some very important facts that we need to consider. First of all, and he's hurrying to the platform, Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. I want us to read this verse of Scripture, Second Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given... Wait a, Wait a minute. What are the first two words? All Scripture. What are the first two words? Not just New Testament Scripture, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable and for doctrine is profitable for doctrine for reproof well wait a minute now the bible says all scripture is profitable for doctrine and so if i reach back into the old testament to establish a doctrine there's nothing wrong with that the bible says that's the way it's supposed to be well hallelujah amen it's profitable for doctrine for reproof. For reproof. I'm doing some of that tonight. For correction. I'm doing some of that tonight. For instruction in righteousness. And for instruction in righteousness. And I'm doing some of that tonight. And all Scripture is profitable for that reason. Now, the New International Version says this. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I ask you tonight, from what did the apostles teach? When they preached, what did they use as a text? They didn't have the New Testament. They were living the New Testament. And every time they got up to preach, they had to preach from the Old Testament. Every sermon they ever preached was preached based on the Old Testament. Are you listening to me tonight? I have apostolic authority to preach to you and teach you from Old Testament Scriptures. As a matter of fact, everything we believe is rooted in the Old Testament. We do away with the Old Testament, we don't even have apostolic doctrine. Amen. Praise God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, 
seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve who unto serve the example and the shadow, example and the shadow of, heavenly things, of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou maketh Thou, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. All right, read First Corinthians chapter number ten, verse eleven. Now all these things now, happened oh, unto wait them. A minute. Now all these things, all these things, read, happened unto them happened for an example. For an example. And they are written, for, they our are written admonition for our admonition upon, upon whom, whom the ends, ends of the world of the are world come. Are come. That's us. That's us. Paul said everything that happened to them wasn't even happening for their sakes. It was happening for the church's sake. Whatever went on back there, it went on for our sakes. We're supposed to learn from it. We're supposed to glean from it. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The New Century Version says these things that happened to those people are examples. They were written down to teach us. When Peter preached about the coming of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, what did he do? Does anybody know? How did he preach about the coming of the Holy Ghost? He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He preached at Pentecost from the Old Testament. Well, hallelujah. When James defended and I'm, I'm going to skip over some of these scriptures here because I've, I've got to get all this into one night. And I've got 11 pages of notes here. Hallelujah. Amen. So, so I'm just I'm going to throw out scriptures. You write them down and, and go home and read them. They're there. I promise you. Amen. When James uh, amen, stood before the Jerusalem council and the church was in an uproar wondering what to do about the Gentiles and what to expect of the Gentiles, do you know how James settled the issue? He did it by quoting from the Old Testament. Hallelujah. You can find it in Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 18. Amen. I'm, I'm not going to read those verses, but he began to quote uh, from the Scripture, said, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David. And he's, he's quoting there from the Old Testament prophets. And the way he put it all into perspective was by using the Old Testament. When Jesus fought the devil at the temptation in the wilderness... What did he do? He quoted the Old Testament. Yes, sir. Is anybody hearing me tonight? Yes, when Stephen preached to the multitude in Acts chapter 7, do you know what he preached to them? He preached the Old Testament. That's right. Hallelujah. Our plan of salvation can be proven in the Old Testament. The tabernacle. All you got to do is look at the layout of the tabernacle. There was a brazen altar where sacrifice was made. A place of death. And then there was the brazen laver. A place of washing and burial. And then you walk into the holy place where the Spirit dwelt. You know what that signifies? The altar is repentance. The laver is burial. Baptism in Jesus' name. The holy place is the presence of God receiving the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, everything we believe is based in the Old Testament. We know there's only one God because it says so in the Old Testament. If we throw away the Old Testament, we can't be a one God people anymore. Hallelujah. 
the world was created in seven days? Because the Old Testament says so. There's not one New Testament verse that tells us God created the world in seven days. Not one. So if I'm going to believe that God did it in seven days, and that He did it by saying, let there be and there was, I've got to accept what the Old Testament has to say. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Furthermore, there are hundreds of New Testament passages that quote from or refer to the Old Testament. And if we're going to ignore everything that's written in the Old Testament, then I'm telling you we cannot preach against a woman wearing pants. Because our key verse in preaching, that's Deuteronomy 22.5. Amen. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. And that's Old Testament. That's right. Now, I've had people say, well, you don't obey other things in that chapter. I'll get to that in just a minute. Praise God. But I'm telling you, that is something we have to obey. But it's Old Testament. You've got to, let me tell you, here's the problem. You've got to learn to distinguish between the Old Testament and the law of Moses. We cannot get rid of the Old Testament, but we are not bound by the law of Moses. Right. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Now, stay with me, because even that is not enough. Even in studying Moses' law, you, you've got to know what was done away with and what's still in effect. Because not all of the law has been discarded. In fact, none of it's been discarded. It's all been fulfilled. But not all of it was applicable only to those living in Old Testament times. There are parts of the law that are still in effect today. And I'm going to show you that tonight. Amen. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to try to help you to understand. What we need to understand is that Moses actually had three laws. Three sets of laws. This is where most folks get totally confused. Because if they just sit down and begin to read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then, then they think all of that is Moses' law. All of that was the Old Testament law. None of that's applicable after the cross. And I'm telling you, to take it that way is twisting the Scripture. Moses had three laws, three distinct categories of laws. And it was because the Jews as a people fit into three distinct categories. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. They, they had three distinct categories into which they fit. And so there were three sets of laws, a set of law for each category under which the Jewish people fell. Stay with me now. First of all, they were a Jewish nation. That requires a civil law. Is everybody with me? The civil law was their form of government. It dealt with crime and punishment. It dealt with how to care for the poor. It dealt with the treatment of strangers or aliens that came into their country and those kinds of things. That was their civil law. Secondly, they were a Jewish religion. And that required a ceremonial law. They kept the religion of the Jewish people and there was a law for their religion. The ceremonial law was their form of worship. It, it, um, it involved their uh, animal sacrifices. It involved their dietary rules. They couldn't eat pork. Certain animals were unclean. 
It, it involved the holidays they kept, or holy days, feast days, those kinds of things. All fell under the category of a ceremonial law, dealt with their religion. But third, they were not only a Jewish nation and a Jewish religion, but they were God's children. And there was a third category of law that applied to them as God's children, and that is the moral law. The moral law dealt with what was holy and what was profane. What was right and what was wrong as the people of God. It dealt with what God loved and what God hated. Praise God. The moral law included the Ten Commandments. Is there anybody that's going to tell me we are not bound by the Ten Commandments today? Is there anybody that's going to tell me it's all right to commit adultery and steal and lie? Why? Those things are under the law. Why do we keep that? It's under the law, Brandon. Well, hallelujah. You want to know why we keep it? It's not under the civil law. It's not under the ceremonial law. It's a part of God's moral law. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Now, let, let's, let's talk about these three laws and how they impact the church today. All right? We, we, we've got to examine these things and see which, if any, apply to the church today. I got a little ahead of myself there, but, but so you know where we're going. But let's, let's move on. All right? The church comes from many nations. Every nation has their own civil laws. Here we are Americans. We don't follow the laws of the Jewish nation. We don't follow the laws of the Canadian government or the Mexican government. That's right. We follow the laws of the American government. That's our civil set of laws. So whatever's under civil law in the Old Testament does not apply to us. All right? Bound by U.S. civil law. Sets the rules for crime and punishment, caring for the poor and those kinds of things. The church is a Christian religion. So we don't follow the ceremonies of Judaism. We're not bound by the dietary laws. Hallelujah. We, we, we don't have to worry about not eating pork. We, we don't offer animal sacrifices. Hallelujah. We, we don't have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. All that was a part of their ceremonial law. And we're not a Jewish religion. So we are not bound. We as a church have our own ceremonies, if you please, such as communion, foot washing, baptism. We worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. Is anybody with me? So when we look at the law and we find things that pertain to their religion, we're not bound by those parts of the law. But when it comes to the moral law, the church is God's people. And we are therefore bound by the moral law of God. Is everybody with me? 
Amen. God's moral nature never changes. What was once right and wrong still is. Well, I didn't get enough response out of that. Malachi 3 and 6, he said, I am the Lord, I change not. I'm telling you, whatever God used to hate, God still hates. Whatever God used to love, God still loves. The moral law was established before Israel became a nation. That's why thou shalt not kill had not even been written when Cain killed Abel, but he was still punished for it. Moses had not yet received the Ten Commandments, but God sure punished Cain, didn't he? Why? Because the moral law was not created on Mount Sinai. It was put into writing on Mount Sinai, but it was, it was created in the heart of God. It's a part of God's character. For God, murder has always been wrong. Lying has always been wrong. Adultery has always been wrong. Before the law, during the law, and after the law. Well, hallelujah. And so, and so when you read about something that, that the Bible says that God hates, mark it down, honey, that doesn't change. That's why I said a while ago, we go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, and, 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 and we look at, at all these verses, and in there you find where you're not supposed to mix the, the uh, contents of a garment. You're not supposed to plow with a donkey and an ox together, and all these things. People say, well, you don't abide by any of that, but you pick one verse out of all that, and you tell women they can't wear pants. Well, here's the reason why. It's all of these things that are listed either fall under the civil law or the ceremonial law until we get to verse 5. 22, I'm sorry, I said chapter 5. It's chapter 22, verse 5. Now, we get to verse 5 and stuck right there in the middle of it, it says, read that verse for me. It's not on your list, but get it in your Bible. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. I want you to hear the way it's worded here. The woman shall not wear. Let's, let's, I'm going to let him read it so you'll know I'm not making it up. Deuteronomy 22, 5. Read. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth that unto which a man. That pertains to a man. Neither shall a man put on Neither a woman's garment. shall a man wear a woman's garment. For all that do so. Because everybody that does so. Are abomination are unto the Lord thy God. abomination unto the Lord thy God. That means God hates it. Yes. He hates it. He hates it. Now listen, if God said I hate it, that doesn't change because we get to the 1940s and women start working. If God hated it back then, God hates it today. Now, now there's a lot of argument, a lot of argument about that. And I'm not going to take the time to deal with that. I dealt with it when I taught on, on apparel. But let me just say this. That, that while men did not wear pants in the Old Testament, by and large, there were pants created for the priest who was, who was only male. And the only people we ever read about in the Bible wearing pants were men. Right. Never a woman. Never. Never. God created pants for men exclusively. Well, hallelujah. 
So you can call them women's pants. You can say what you want about them. I'm telling you, when God's the one, God's the one that told them to design pants, and He designed them for the male. Well, I feel a little resistance on that. This church knows I believe this. I've always believed this. And the amazing thing is, every other church used to believe it. They all used to preach this same thing. Yeah, they did. Yes, they did. Hallelujah. Who changed? It wasn't God. It wasn't God. Hallelujah. God is the one who created the pants for the man. Well, praise God. And so I'm telling you, now, the Bible says, now, and this is what's it, and, and I don't have time to get to it, but the Bible says, that which pertains to a man. Pertains. It doesn't say a man's garment. So that's why when a woman says, well, these are women's pants, so it's not a man's garment. That's not what the Bible said. It said if it pertains to a man. If it gives you the appearance of a man. And God created pants for a man. And so if you put them on and they look like what God created for a man, it pertains to a man, honey. And God hates it. Now, I wouldn't want to do anything that God hates. And that doesn't, that's a part of God's moral nature. That doesn't change with the times. Hallelujah. Somebody said, well, there's things I can't do if I wear pants. Well, then you need to quit doing those things. Well, hallelujah. Act like a lady. Be a lady. You know, really, let, let, me, let me, dear God, help me. I don't have time to get on this. But I want to tell you what the real purpose of Deuteronomy 22.5 is. The real purpose is because God expects men to be men and women to be women. And God hates the blurring of the gender lines that's going on. God hates sissified men and God hates masculine women. Are you listening to me? God hates it. Let men be men and let ladies be ladies. I'm taking my coat off right now. What I'm feeling, I may roll up my sleeves in a minute. I feel like fighting a little bit here tonight. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, 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 ah, Jesus, help me. I'm going to tell you, that's part of the reason why God said that a man needs to keep his hair cut short and a woman needs to let hers grow. Because God expects men to look one way and women to look another. And God wants you to be able to tell the difference. Well, let me just throw something out. Somebody's, I've heard this old argument, and, and you know what? I'm getting to where I'm having to deal with United Pentecostal preachers on this issue. Makes me sick at my stomach. Having United Pentecostal preachers argue this point with me. Well, everybody in the Bible wore robes. Well, let me tell you something, honey. If every robe looked exactly alike, then Deuteronomy 22.5 was totally irrelevant. And God wasted His breath even saying it. 
obviously there was some distinction in those robes. Well, hallelujah. Men didn't wear the same robes women wore. Now, I know when we put little Bible plays on, everybody just grabs a bathrobe and thinks that's it, but that's not the way it was. But men had certain designs, and women were designed other ways. And God said, I want there to always be a very clear distinction between men and women. And you can say what you want, but the wall started coming down when women started wearing pants. Well, you wouldn't think I'd be preaching on this in a lesson on tithing, but there's no telling where we'll end up tonight before I get done. And I know I've already said this is going on the website. We may have to put it in two parts on the website. I don't know what we'll have to do. Amen. But be that as it may, maybe the world needs to know there's a church that still believes the Bible. We're not seeking to be relevant to this world. We are seeking to stand for the truth. Now, all right, all right, all right. Somehow I've got to get back on this subject of tithing. God's moral nature never changes. And when God calls something an abomination, God always hates it. God always hates it. He always hates it. Amen. And, and that doesn't change. Now, the same thing is true when you begin to read about what God says is holy to the Lord. God says, I've chosen that. I've put my favor upon that. I've blessed that, and it's mine. And I'm telling you that tithing was called holy to the Lord. Did anybody read that in our text tonight? It's holy unto the Lord. That makes it a part of God's moral law. Furthermore, listen to me. Listen to me. Just like just like the prohibition against murder was before the law, during the law, and after the law. Tithing is the same way. You cannot say that tithing was instituted under the law of Moses. That is not true. To say that is a lie. It did not start under Moses. I take you to Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And Abraham gave Melchizedek tithe. This is 420 years before the law was given. 420 years. Don't tell me tithing started under the law. It didn't start under the law. This is what God wanted. This is what God instituted. Is anybody hearing me tonight? Now, who did that? Who paid their tithes? Who, who was it? Abraham. Now that's interesting. Listen to John chapter 8 verse 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Uh-huh. Jesus, said, Jesus unto them, said to them, If ye were Abraham's if children, you are the children of Abraham, ye would do the works of Abraham. You'll do what Abraham did. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You want to say your 
He's father Abraham, had many sons, and I am one of them. You want to say you're a son of Abraham? Then do what Abraham did and pay your tithes. If Abraham's your father, then act like he's your father and do the deeds that he did. Well, praise God. All right, it, it, didn't, it didn't stop with Abraham. Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee the tenth. Unto thee. Alright, Jacob paid tithes 280 years before the law. Is anybody getting the picture? Now, somebody said, well, it was just Abraham and Jacob. They're the only ones that ever paid tithes. To use that kind of reasoning means that there were only about a dozen people ever baptized in Jesus' name. If the only time it was ever done is when the Bible specifically says it was done... Well, is anybody getting the picture? Just because these are the only two examples before the law doesn't mean it's the only two times it was ever done. Well, all right, all right. Be that as it may, we have established the fact that it did not start with Moses. It started before Moses. Hallelujah. Now, we need to understand that not only did Moses have three laws... But within the law, there were three different kinds of tithes. Everybody's sweating now. It just went up to 30%, didn't it? No, not really. Somebody will take that little clip off the internet and, boy, they'll really twist it around. But you were here and you know I said that's not true. I was just kidding. All right, in fact, I'm going to spend a good bit of time showing you why that's not necessary. But under Moses, there were actually three separate and distinct tithes uh, which the Israelites were required to pay. Now, pay close attention to how each of these tithes fell under one of the three categories of the law. Remember what those three categories are. There was the civil law that applied to them as a nation. There was the ceremonial law that applied to them as a religion. And there was the moral law that applied to them as the people of God. There were three tithes. And again, I won't take time to read these passages, but I will tell you what they are. First of all, there was the poor tithe. Everyone say the poor tithe. And no, that's not what you're paying. <laughs> Hallelujah. The poor tithe was designed to take care of the widows, the orphans, the other poor. It was received once every three years. And... And if I took time to read it, if you're writing down, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29, you'll find out that when they paid that poor tithe that was strictly to help provide for the poor, a portion of that tithe went to the Levites. Now, the poor tithe was a part of the civil law. Remember, remember that I told you the civil law dealt with caring for the poor. Does anybody remember that? Amen. And so we, we need to understand the poor tithe was part of the civil law. 
Our civil government provides welfare and those things for the poor today. The Jewish nation, the Jewish government took care that was this was their welfare system. Hallelujah. Once every three years, everybody gave an extra tithe. One time every three years. And that tithe went to take care of the poor. A portion of it was kept out for the Levites, for the priests. All right? Now, that was a part of the civil law, and that tithe we are not required to pay today. Everybody said, thank God. All right? Secondly, there was the feast tithe. This was ordained to pay the Jews' observance of holy days. In other words, they were to take a tithe and set it back. And this was to pay their way to get to Jerusalem to observe the holy days. Now, this is found in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 27. I won't read that. Again, I'm trying to save some time here. But it's there, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. And verse 27 says that the Levite is supposed to get part of that too. But the feast tithe helped them get to Jerusalem for their holy days. What does that make that? That makes that a part of the ceremonial law, the Jewish religion. We don't follow the Jewish religion today, so we don't have to pay the feast tithe. Everybody said, thank God. See, I've just cut 20% out of it. Hallelujah. Now, this is a part of the ceremonial law. We're not bound by it today. But the third tithe was an ongoing tithe. And it was called the Levitical tithe. It went entirely for the livelihood of the Levites. Those who served God at the tabernacle. Well, praise God. Now, this is found in Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 to 24. And I, again, I, I don't have time to read all this, but Numbers 18, verses 20 to 24. But we did read in our text that this tithe was holy unto the Lord. And because it was holy unto the Lord, uh, we do have Leviticus 27.30. Go ahead and read that for me. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. All the tithe is holy unto the Lord. This is a part of God's moral law, which was before the law of Moses, during the law of Moses, and continues after the law of Moses. The only way we can do away with this tithe is if we also do away with the Ten Commandments. Are you hearing me? Anybody that tells you you don't have to pay tithes today, tell them if that's true, then I can commit adultery and I can commit murder and I can tell lies. Because the same law that keeps me from doing those things keeps me paying my tithes. Well, praise God. Now, a couple of things we need to say about the Levitical tithe. Let me, let me just hit on a few other points here while we're on this subject. The Levitical tithe was never predicated upon the need of the Levites. See, I, I've run into this. Now, we, we don't have that problem here as a smaller church right now. The day will come, we'll probably have the problem. And we'll have folks who'll be looking at the preacher and saying, well, he's living too high on the hog and he doesn't need my money. I'm not going to pay tithes. The church doesn't need it. 
But tithing has never been based on whether or not the church needed it. It's what God expects regardless. In fact, and I, I wish that I had time to read all these scriptures. I just don't. My time's getting away and there's so many other things I still need to say. I'm only halfway through my notes. Second Chronicles chapter 31, verses 4 through 12. I won't take the time to read it, but the Bible says that the people began to give their tithe. They had gone for a long time without paying the tithe. And they, they, they were convicted of it at the preaching of the word and they began to pay their tithe again and as they began to bring it in it was so much amen that the priest literally had way more than what they could do with amen um i tell you what skip down to verse 10 in second chronicles 31 just start reading with verse 10 we will read this Let, let's let's listen to this second chronicles 31 and 10 and azariah the chief priest of the house of zadok answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty. And the priest said, Look, we've got, we've got enough. And there's still plenty left over. So what are we going to do? Tell them to quit tithing? No, read. For the Lord has blessed His people, and that which is left is the great store. Is this great store? Then Hezekiah commanded to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them, and brought in the offerings and the tithes, and dedicated the things faithfully, over which Kenoni, the Levite, was ruler, and Shimei, his brother, was the next. So here's what they did. People had to pay their tithes, and, and the priests had plenty with extra left over. Wouldn't that be a nice situation to be in? And, and they had plenty with... With, with, they, had, they had way too much. So, you know what? They didn't start giving it back. And they didn't tell the people to quit giving. They said, we're going to build a storehouse. And we're going to take the extra and put it in the storehouse. Hallelujah. So tithing, you, you don't tithe based on whether or not the church needs you to tithe. You tithe because God said it's His. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. So, even when it was more than what the Levites needed, the people didn't cut them back to a percentage and keep the rest. I've seen churches do that. Well, the preacher only needs 50% of the tithe or 60% of the tithe or whatever. They didn't do that. They established a storehouse from which the Levites could draw at a later time when there was a need. This is equivalent of a modern-day administrative or tithing account. The tithes are just put there, and it's for the livelihood of the ministry. Now, now understand this. Understand this. Praise God. It was never used to finance buildings, etc., but was always used exclusively for the livelihood of the Levites. In other words, the tithing was never to pay the light bill. Some people think that's the way the church operates is because I pay my tithe, so the church operates through the tithing. That was never the plan of God. Well, I didn't get very many amens on that. The tithe was always exclusively for the livelihood of the Levites. Uh, again, I don't have time to read this whole passage. Numbers 18, verses 20 to 24. Just read verse 24, Brandon. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord. The tithes that they bring in. I have given to the Levites. I to have given to the Levites. 
Therefore I have said unto them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. Now, God said, It is my expectation that the priests, that the ministers of the holy things, should live off of the tithing. And God doesn't want the ministry to have to find other employment. I can, I can prove that to you. I don't have time to go into that. But that's not the plan of God. Now, sometimes it's necessary. You look at Paul. Paul did go in as a tent maker. But he was going in where there was no church to start a church. But it's not the plan of God for men to live of anything except the tithe. That's the way God wants it to be. God said, I don't want you to have any other inheritance. This is the way I want you to live. Hallelujah. Amen. And so it wasn't used to finance the buildings. The erection of new buildings as well as maintenance and repairs was always done by the free will offerings of the people. It was what they gave above their tithe that cared for the building. Now I know some of you were not here three years ago. Some of you have never heard me teach this. And so this may come as, as new doctrine to you. But I promise you I'm getting all of this out of the scripture. When the people erected a temple, when they erected a tabernacle, they didn't do it with their tithe. They did it with their offerings. They gave free will unto God. They said, we believe in this. We want this. We're doing this not because we have to. The tithe we have to give. The offering we want to give. Amen. That's why I ask you to make out two checks. Because the tithe goes to one place. The offering goes to another. We don't run it all together. The offering takes care of the light bills. And mortgage and whatever. The tithing pays for the livelihood of the ministry. Now, if as the ministry I choose to take that and pay light bills, which I've done, that's my prerogative. Hallelujah. I've done it and will continue to do it. I've done any number of things with it. But the church should not expect that. The church needs to say, this is my church. It's not Brother Riggins' church, it's my church. And when I come to church, I don't want to sit in the dark. I want the lights on. And I'd kind of like to have some air conditioning. And when it starts getting cold, I'd like for the heaters to work. So I'm going to give above my tithe. Well, hallelujah, praise God. We're kind of bogging down here, church. Oh, hallelujah. But I'm telling you the truth tonight. I'm preaching truth to this church. Amen. Now, let me just say this. When I say that the tithing was for the livelihood of the Levites, understand that not all Levites were priests. Not all the Levites were priests. Not all of them ministered in the tabernacle. There were porters. There were janitors. 
There were any number of things that derived their livelihood. They served God, and that became their livelihood. Amen. And so that's, that's the way God intends for it to work. Now, that, that's, that is all the Old Testament plan, the way God set it up. But let me just show you something. Because the false doctrine that's being promoted is that tithing is not a New Testament concept. And that the church today is not bound by tithing. I'm going to show you tithing is very much a New Testament concept. In fact, it's a New Testament mandate. Well, thank God for the two people that believe that. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Jesus Himself taught tithing. Matthew 23, 23. Listen to this. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now, now did you get what Jesus said? Jesus said you pay tithes. And while you've done that, you've omitted some things. Now, he said, you need to do these things you've omitted, but don't leave the other undone. What's he saying? Pay your tithes. You're paying tithes? That's good. Keep doing it. Now, listen, if Jesus tells us to pay tithes, who are we to argue? Do we think we're smarter than Jesus? Well, some people do. Some people do. Jesus said, do it. Now, let me tell you what I was told when I brought that up. I was told, but he was talking to the Pharisees. And since he was talking to the Pharisees, it's what they had to do under the law. But it's not for us today. Well, that's interesting. So everything Jesus said to the Pharisees is not for us today? If that's the case, i got a problem. Read for me John chapter 3, verse 1, would you? There was a man of the Pharisees. A Pharisee. Named Nicodemus. Named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. A ruler of the Jews. So when we get on down to verse 5 where Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he was talking to the Pharisee. So we're going to throw that out too? Well, they will eventually. You mark my words, they will eventually. But I'm here to tell you, just because Jesus said it to a Pharisee doesn't mean that He didn't intend for us to read it. It's in this Bible because He planned on us reading it. See, and then I've, I've heard this argument. Well, that was before Calvary. Before Calvary. Before Calvary, we can't accept it because it was before Calvary. Then you know what we got to do? Throw away all four Gospels. Everything Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, He said it before Calvary. With the exception of a few statements after His resurrection. 
So I'm telling you, except for the last couple of chapters of, of, of a few of those Gospels, we don't have anything we can believe if we can't accept what Jesus said before Calvary. I'm going to tell you something, honey. You're just straining at a gnat because you're selfish and greedy and don't want to pay your tithes. That's your problem. It has nothing to do with whether Jesus said it or not. You just are selfish. You're greedy. You're stingy. You don't want to pay tithes. I told you I was probably going to be rolling up my sleeves for us over with. I'm, I'm about ready to. I'm about ready to wade in here. I feel like charging hell with a water gun tonight. Well, praise God. Jesus taught tithing. Anybody that will not accept what Jesus said, there's no hope for them. You hear me? There's no hope for them. Now, listen, let me, let me show you another place where Jesus said it. Matthew 22, verses 19 and through 21. Let's read that. Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Who is, Whose is the image and the superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. All right, now, look at this verse of Scripture. Read the first sentence again. Show me the tribute money. Show me the money. Show me the money. Is that what he said? Everybody agrees. Jesus said, show me the money. So what does he have in his hand? I don't even, silver and gold have I none. <laughs> I don't have any coins in my pocket. You got any change? Bunch of poor Pentecostal preachers. Well, Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Campbell. Thank you, Brother Campbell. All right, all right. Now, now, look, look, look. Jesus is standing there with money in his hand. Everybody agrees? He said, show me that money. All right, then what did he say? The very last sentence that's in red there. Render therefore, Render to, Caesar therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What belongs to Caesar. And unto God. And render to God. The things that are God's. What belongs to God. Now, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? So he said, give Caesar the money that belongs to Caesar and give God the money that belongs to God. Now, what money belongs to Caesar? Your taxes. See, the same stingy people that don't want you paying tithes tries to convince you you don't have to pay taxes either. I said it and I'm not backing down from it. Well, hallelujah. But Jesus said, pay your taxes and pay your tithes. Don't give me this nonsense. It's not in the Constitution and all that other garbage. Jesus said, do it, so I'm going to do it. He said, pay your taxes and pay your tithes. Hallelujah. So he said, he said, give God what belongs to God. What part of our money belongs to God? The tithe, it's holy unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, now, Jesus is not the only one. See, I, I get way ahead of myself here. That's the problem with these PowerPoints. 
All right, I get way ahead of myself. Jesus said you ought to pay tithes, and then when he said render to Caesar and render to God, he was holding money, all right? Jesus is not the only one who taught on tithing. Paul taught we ought to pay our tithe. Now, Jesus alone ought to be enough to just end the discussion, but I'm going to drive this point home. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. The apostle Paul also taught tithing. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If, he, if we have sown unto your, you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? I'm beginning to think I shouldn't have even used the PowerPoint, just use the Scriptures because I, I, I want to show you here and I can't do both. But, but, but look, if you're looking at your Bible, look at this, what he said. The first sentence again. Read the first sentence. For it is written it in is the written law of Moses. Where? In the law of Moses. So what is Paul using here to teach us? The law of Moses. And what did he say was written? That thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. I said, is God concerned about whether the ox eats or not? No, God doesn't care whether the ox eats or not. He said, or saith he it altogether for our sakes. Talking about the ministry. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope. And he that threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? What is he saying? Hallelujah. He's talking about the ministerial plan that God instituted for the livelihood of the preacher. And he said the preacher ought to be able to get up and preach and he ought to have a little hope that he's going to get some remuneration for it. Now listen, listen church, I am not in this for the money. And if you think I am, you, you you, you just don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. My wife can tell you I'm not in it for the money. Never have been. That's never been an issue with me. Absolutely never. I left a good, strong, thriving church to go take a church of six people. I was not interested in money. I came here without one promise of anything. Nothing. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Hallelujah. That's so everybody can understand it. I am not interested in money. But I'm going to tell you this. I ought to be able to get up here and preach with the hope that I'm going to be able to pay my bills on Monday. Because there's not a one of you that would want to keep my hours and not even know when payday comes what kind of check you're going to get. Now listen, I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me, but I'm telling you, I don't have a guaranteed salary. I take what I can get. That's right. And I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for him, but I'm telling you, there have been some weeks that I've, I, my family's lived on $200. $100. I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for him. I'm just telling you the facts. That's going to change. But there's not a one of you that wants to be on call 
be awakened in the middle of the night. Expect to carry this kind of load. And then have your employer say, all I can give you $100 for your work this week. Paul said, he that plows ought to be able to plow in hope. And he said, you shouldn't think anything of it. What we're giving you is going to last you till you get to heaven. What you give us is going to be gone by next Monday. Amen. One preacher said this, forever Paul destroyed the argument that what was done under the law has no effect on us under grace. In fact, in his writings, Paul makes reference to over 240 Old Testament verses of Scripture besides the references to over 100 Old Testament verses in the book of Hebrews. Because we don't know for sure if Paul wrote those. I think he did, but we don't know. But that's, that's 240 we know Paul wrote. References to the Old Testament. And he tied this whole subject back to the Old Testament plan. Praise God. Paul used the moral law to show that God has appointed certain rules for the support of those who labor. He referred to the Old Testament method of ministerial support, applying it to the New Testament system. Hallelujah. Whether preacher, farmer, ox, nobody's supposed to be regulated by anyone other than themselves. And God as to how much they can take from the labors they bestow. Well, that went over like a flock of dogs. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. I know what time it is. Bear with me a few more minutes, would you? Do ye not know that, which, that they which minister about holy things live of the things of, of, the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. All right, now, this next verse proves what I said a while ago. Read verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained ordained that they which preach the gospel gospel should live of the gospel. Should. Everyone say should. Should. Everyone say should. Should. That doesn't say can. It says should. They which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's the plan and the ordination of God. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Paul referred to the Old Testament method, applied it to the New Testament system. Just as the tithe was the support of the Old Testament priesthood, even so tithing is the way God has ordained that gospel preachers ought to live in this day and age. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. Let's read. Let the rulers that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. This is a reference to the ministry, ruling over the church. Let them be, let, let those that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Read. For the scripture, For the saith, scripture says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. He's going back to the Old Testament again, but that's not all he does. Read on. And the laborer is and, worthy of his reward. The laborer is worthy of his reward. Yeah. Now let me tell you something. That's not an Old Testament quote. No, sir. That is a quote from Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Well, let me prove it to you. Luke chapter 10 verse 7. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. The laborer is worthy of his hire. Now, in Luke it's translated hire. In Timothy it's translated reward. But it is the exact same Greek word. All right. So in the original it says the same thing. 
what Paul was doing here was not just quoting the Old Testament, but he was quoting Jesus Christ himself to prove that the preacher ought to live off the tithe. Sounds to me like Jesus believed in tithing. Well, hallelujah. All right, now, Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. I'm just giving you verses where Paul preaches, whoops, where Paul preaches tithing. Galatians 6 and 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him. Let him that's taught, that is you. Everyone say, that's me. That's me. Everyone say, that's me. That's me. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. That's you. All right, let him that's taught in the word. That's what you're being done, that's what's being done tonight. You're being taught in the word. Let them do what? Communicate unto him that teaches. Communicate. All right. In all good things. Communicate. Back up from the word communicate and start reading again. Uh, uh, Communicate unto him. Unto him that teaches teaches. in all good things. That's me. Everyone say that's the preacher. So we got two people that's being talked about here: those that are taught and the one that teaches. Amen. And the Bible said those that are taught need to communicate to the one that teaches. Now that doesn't mean talk to him. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Amen. When you look at this word in the original, the original word is to share with. Let him that is taught in the word share with. Now, let me read the Amplified Bible to tell you what the connotation is. All right, is everybody with me? You haven't checked out on me yet, have you? Give me a few more minutes. I promise I'm, I'm getting close to the end. Just give me a few more minutes. The Amplified Bible says, Let him who receives instruction in the word of God share all good things with his teacher. The idea, no, I'm sorry, I didn't finish that. Share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. I overlooked that last phrase. Let me read it again. I looked up too soon. Let him who receives instruction in the word of God share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. The idea and concept is you need to meet his financial needs. If you're being taught, it's your obligation to meet the financial needs of the teacher. Well, hallelujah. You know, you don't, you don't expect to go to college and take classes for free. Well, the International Standard Version says, is everybody listening to this now? This really sounds interesting. Maybe I ought to start preaching from the International Standard Version all the time. Listen to this one. The person who is taught the Word should share all his goods with his teacher. Well, all right. Moving right along. Now, Jesus taught tithing. Paul taught tithing. The author of Hebrews taught tithing. And, And I... I believe this is Paul, but just for the sake of those who don't, and because we don't know for sure, I'm just going to throw this one in as a third witness. All right, Whoever wrote Hebrews also taught tithing. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8. Read. And here men that die receive tithes. Here, and we'll say here. Not Old Testament. He's speaking in the New Testament sense. Right here, right now. Men that die receive tithes. That die receive, present tense, tithes. Everybody hear that? Paul said tithing's going on right now in the New Testament church. 
said or didn't he? Listen, friend, I'm telling you, these people who say tithing is not in the New Testament don't have a clue. It's not because they don't believe it's in the New Testament. It's because they don't want to believe it's in the New Testament. Because they themselves don't want to pay their tithes. This book puts tithing in the present tense. Right here, right now, men receive tithes. Right now. It's happening. This was written to tongue-speaking, Holy Ghost-filled, New Testament Christians. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, I've, I've, heard, I've heard all kinds of arguments. Well, you can't show where it's to the Gentiles. Listen, everything in that book is to the Gentiles. You don't segregate what's written to the Gentiles and what's written to the Jews in the New Testament church. Well, praise God. Amen. All right, let me move on. I'm trying to move on. I'm, I'm really getting right down here to the wire. All right. Let's talk about the practice of tithing, how we ought to go about doing it. I, I hope that I have sufficiently proven tonight that the, the system of ministerial support was a direct carryover from the Old Testament system. And so we must then examine that system to see what the Bible instructs the saints concerning the way we observe it. Here's some things we need to know that the Bible tells us about tithing. Number one, you must not keep the tithes. You must not. You must not. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, we, we read about that storehouse a while ago, or talked about it. I didn't, it didn't read it end up reading the scriptures, but I, I gave you the passage. But that storehouse was created for the very purpose of the overflow of the tithe. And he said, you just keep bringing it into the storehouse. Why? That there may be meat in mine house. Now let me ask you something. Who's going to need the meat in the tabernacle? The priest is. He said, I want my priest to eat. So you bring your tithe to the storehouse. Hallelujah. So there can be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith. Prove me thou that herewith. Saith the Lord of hosts, uh-huh. if I will not open up, open you the windows I of heaven. Will open the windows of heaven. And pour you and out a blessing. pour you out a blessing. And there shall, not, there shall be not be room, room enough to receive enough it. Enough to receive it. Hey, can I just throw this in free of charge? I'm not here preaching wealth and prosperity tonight. I'm not preaching name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. Some of you that are struggling financially, let me tell you what I, what I just feel a little prompting in the Spirit. I want you to go to God tonight before you go to bed and say, God, I've been paying my tithe. And you said if I would do it, you would open the windows of heaven. And you would pour out a blessing that I couldn't even contain. You said it. And you can't lie. Let me tell you something. God honors tithing. I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories of sinner men that didn't even darken a church door that paid tithes that started getting raises on their jobs. That God started blessing them. 
Because they paid their tithe. I can tell you of corporations such as J.C. Penney's and Welch's that were built into huge conglomerates because a man paid tithes. Are you listening to me? God blesses it. God blesses it. Now, now listen, where we've got to be careful, we don't want to get off into the prosperity doctrine. And there are people that if they pay their tithe, if God doesn't give them this big, huge increase as a result, then they get angry at God. But I want to tell you, when you get that way, you weren't paying your tithes for the right reason. God is not a money market account. God is not a savings and loan. You don't give so that you can get. You give, number one, because He requires it. And then you give above that because you love Him. And if those are your motives, I promise you God's going to bless you. Now, some people can't handle finances, financial blessings. And some people God tests with financial difficulties. And, but God promised a blessing. And so God may bless you with health. God may bless you by saving a loved one. God may do any number of things to give you a blessing that's greater than what you thought you could stand. It's not all dollars and cents when God starts blessing. But I can promise you this, if you'll give, there's going to be some dollar and cents blessings too. In fact, I told Brother Dell, I, I think it was maybe last week, I don't know, just recently, we were sitting down trying to pay bills and scratching our heads saying, how are we going to do it? And I said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give more to the missionaries than what we're giving right now. I don't know how we're going to do it. We can't afford it, but I'm going to do it. Because I believe that by the time we get through, God's going to turn around and bless us. I've seen Him do it and do it and do it. I'm telling you, I believe what I'm saying. If you've been faithful to God, get on your knees tonight and hold your record before God. And say, God, I've been doing what you said. Now I'm asking you to do what you said. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, oh, Jesus, I don't have time for all these little fox trails that I feel, but I need to say this. I need to back up to the scripture he read a while ago where the Bible said, Here, men receive tithe. See, there are some people who think, Well, as long as I drop my tithe in the plate, that's all I have to do. I don't have to answer to a man. But you're going against the Bible. You still got that scripture there, Hebrews 7 and 8. I want you to go back and read that for me again. Hebrews 7 and 8. It should have been, I think it was at the top of the page. Read it, read it, read it. And hear men here, that die. Here, here, not churches. Right. Men. Not organizations. Right. Not charities. Mm-hmm. Read it again. Here, men. Here, men. That die. Uh huh. Receive tithes. Receive tithes. Men receive tithes. Everybody see that? You know what that tells me? Your pastor needs to know you're paying tithes. Right. Well, it's getting weaker. I guess the hour's getting later. But, you know, let me just say this. I want to tell you this. Tithing really is a matter of accountability. It is showing you are accountable to a man. In fact, God got to dealing with me about this. 
just, just recently, I, I, God started dealing with me about this. Now, I've always paid my tithes. For as long as I've been living for God, I've paid my tithes. And, and that's, that's not been an issue with me. But what I did was I would take that tithe and I would send it to various ministers. I would, I would help out in other places. I would do things with it. In fact, I had a special account set up just for my tithes and the tithes of my assistant. And our money went into that account. I recently closed that account. Because God got to deal with me. I said, you know what? Tithing is a matter of accountability. And I'm accountable to my pastor. And my tithes needs to go to my pastor. All right. And so now every week I write out a check and I send it down to Tulsa. Because I want my pastor to get my tithe. I want to be accountable to my pastor. Well, hallelujah. Well, praise God. Here men receive tithe. That's why you need, you need, you need, you need to make sure it's marked tithing. If you pay your tithes with cash, you need to put it in an envelope and mark it tithe. And you need to put your name on that envelope. Now, I'm going to tell you why some people don't do that. Because it's not really a tithe. They're just giving some money. And they want it off their conscience. But you're still, you know what this verse said here? Boy, I've gone all around the gamut here, haven't I? Malachi 3, it said, you're stealing from God. If you don't pay tithes, you're stealing from God. Now you tell me, are you going to go to heaven when you're stealing from God? Is there any hope that a thief is going to walk the streets of gold, especially when the the quote-unquote victim is God? Honey, you're as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. Are you hearing me? I know that's crude, but I'm telling you, you're not going to be saved if you don't pay your tithe. You're stealing from God. You're a thief. Hallelujah. That's strong, but... What else? I mean, how else can I put this? is what the Bible says. If you don't believe that, read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. Read. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Read, read, read. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves. Nor what? Nor thieves. Nor what? Nor thieves. Nor what? Nor thieves. Nor what? Nor thieves. Nor thieves. Nor covetous, uh-huh. nor drunkards, uh-huh. nor revilers, right. nor extortioners shall inherit the shall kingdom inherit of God. The kingdom of God. Thieves aren't going to heaven, and if you don't pay tithes, you're a thief. You're not going to heaven if you don't pay tithe. You're lost. You can talk in tongues, you can run the aisles, you can do whatever you want to do, but if you don't pay tithes, you're stealing from God, and you're going to hell. Is that clear enough? Have I said it plain enough? I'm not beating around the bush tonight. I'm telling you the facts. See, I don't want you to sit on these pews and stand before God and say, God, I didn't know. 
I'm telling you, when you stand before God and He pulls up your tithing record, and believe me, honey, He'll pull it up. And He doesn't make mistakes. Some of you know we hand out these statements at the first of each year, and, and from time to time we make mistakes. But God doesn't. And God's going to have an accurate record. And He's going to know exactly what you got and exactly what you gave. Hallelujah. And if it's not 10%, God's going to say, thief. This one's a thief. You know what my pastor used to say? See, now I'm kind. I'm sweet. I'm sweet. My pastor was just as mean as an old bear. I'm telling you, he was. He was. You know what he used to do? He told the ushers. He would say this publicly. Ushers, you watch those people that don't put tithing envelopes in the plate. Keep an eye on them. You watch them when you go by there. They'll steal out of that plate. They're thieves. They'll steal. They're stealing from God. They'll steal from the church. Ushers. Now, see, see, you, 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 you folks don't really realize how, how good you've got it, how sweet what a kind, sweet pastor you got. You think I'm mean. I'm, I'm, t- I'm not mean. I've got friends that, that have a tithing march. They, they put it right down here front. And when it comes time to pay the tithe, it's not passing the plate. You're going to march down front with your tithe. And that way everybody sees who never gets out of their pew. In fact, one, one of my, my dear friends, and he's preached here many times, and he's on my council of elders, and I'm not telling you his name, but his initials are Robert Davis. Tell you what he does. He's got a little church building that somebody built for him, just a little sim- simple church building that's got a slot in the top and, and a, a locking door on the bottom. And every Sunday morning, he walks down and stands right here. And you walk down and hand your tithe to him, and then he puts it in the box. And he does it based on Hebrews 7 and 8, that here men receive tithe. And he said, it, it does you good to hand that tithe to your preacher. It really creates a greater accountability. So I'm not saying we're going to do that, but if anyone wanted to build me a little church... Oh, Jesus, it's getting late. It's getting late. i got to hurry. i got to hurry. All right, now listen. You're stealing from God if you don't pay your tithe. So you need, to, you need to put it in an envelope. If you're putting cash in, it needs to be an envelope with your name on it. It needs to be marked tithe. If you're using checks, you don't have to use an envelope. If you're using checks, you don't have to put an envelope. Just if you want to fold the check up, I, I trust our ushers around here. I don't think they're going to open those checks and look at them. If you feel more secure, put an envelope, then put it in an envelope. But we don't have to have the envelope. But if you're writing a check, just make sure that it says tithe on the check. Amen. Make sure that it says tithe. And then any other offerings you give, whatever it is, with the exception of the building fund, any, any other offering all goes into one fund, into the general fund. So anything, if, it's, if, it's, if you want to give to missions, if you're wanting to, whatever you want to do, any of that can just be an, an offering. You don't even have to put anything on the memo. 
it just if it's unmarked, then we put it in the generally put it in the general fund, and uh, we, we don't keep a lot of accounts around here. But we do separate the tithe and the offering based on what I've taught you tonight, and so it, it helps us. And some of you didn't know that and, and have been writing out one check, and I'm not reprimanding you tonight. I'm explaining to you. You, you, you didn't know that, so I'm just explaining tonight. It just helps us to separate it and uh, because it goes into literally into two separate accounts. It takes care of two separate sets of things. Um, so, you, you must not keep the tithe. Let's go on. I'm trying to finish here. You must not control the tithe. We don't really have that problem around here for the most part, I hope. Um, I have had to deal with that in the past. And... Um, so let's just let's let's talk about it here real real quick. First uh, Corinthians nine verses nine to eleven we've read, so I won't take the time to read it again. But this is where he talks about thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. The word muzzle means to restrain, to restrict, to repress, or to suppress. And so you are never to restrict the amount that the ox can eat. All right. Now he says this was written for the ministry's sake. And so it is never right for a church to restrict what the ministry takes. All right. Now, we don't have that problem here, thank God. But I, have, I know many, many, even oneness churches where they set the pastor on a salary, where they set him on a percentage of the tithe, and I'm telling you, it's wrong in the sight of God. Right. Now, they do it because they say we can't trust him. Well, I want to tell you this. If you can't trust me with your money, why in this world are you trusting me with your soul? I can't figure that out. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Numbers chapter 18. We've, we've, we've read these verses. I'm, I promise you, I'm trying, trying, trying to come to a close. But, well, let's read this. Numbers 18, verses 21 to 22, because this is a little bit different. We need, to, we need to talk about this now. Numbers 18, 21 to 22. Read. And behold, I have given the children of Israel of Levi all the tenth of, in Israel for an inheritance, for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. All right, he, now, now, now listen. He said, I gave the, all the tithe to the Levites, to the priests, to the ministry. All right? Now, verse 22, he says, Neither must the children of Israel, must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh, come even close the tabernacle to the tabernacle of the congregation, of the congregation lest they, bear, lest they sin bear sin and die. And die. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about the tithe. The tithe belongs to the ministry. And he says once you give it, don't get close to it. Don't put strings on your tithing. I've had people do that. I've, I've actually had people who wrote out 10% check and then marked it Sunday school. Because they didn't want the preacher to get it. I'm telling you, I've seen everything. The Bible says once you give it, don't come near it. It goes to the ministry, now you leave it alone. In fact, let me just say this. Our offerings, really, we ought to look at them the same way. I had a lawyer tell me many years ago that when it comes to offerings, that people should not designate their offerings. Because if they designate it, they really didn't give it. They're telling you how to spend it, so they're really the ones spending it. That's what the lawyer told me. And so he said, put it in your church bylaws that any designation from a member 
is strictly a suggestion. But we as a church have the authority to spend it where we feel like it needs to be spent. So that's in our church bylaws, based on the counsel of an attorney. So, so I mean, you want to write on there, this is going to go to Joe Blow and Kokomo? Well, write it down. But I'm not obligated to give it to Joe Blow. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm blowing your minds with some stuff here tonight, but we're, we're in the book. We're in the book. All right, now look. God said, don't come nigh the tabernacle lest you die. So once you give the tithe, you leave it alone. Don't worry about where it's going because for you to touch it again is to bring the curse of God on you. For you to do it is no different, no different than when Yuza reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was God's. It was holy. He said, don't touch it. God said, the tithe is holy. Don't touch it. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, here's the third thing you better know. You must not spend the tithe. See, I've had people say, well, I can't afford to tithe this week. I have to buy groceries. I have to do this. I have to do that. I've got, I can't afford to tithe. Listen to me, honey. You can't afford not to tithe. If you spend your tithe, let me tell you what the Bible says. You owe God that much plus interest. And honey, it's a big interest charge. Let me show you. Leviticus 27, verses 30 and 31. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes. He wants to redeem aught of his tithes. In other words, he spent it. He did something else with it. Now he says, all right, God, I need to give it to you. He wants to make it up. He shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. Oh, he's supposed to add the fifth part. Now, I used to hear people say that means 5%. No, 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 no. A fifth is not 5%. A fifth is 20%. That's steep. The Bible says you don't pay your tithes. You need to make it up. And when you make it up, you add 20% to it. So you want to know what he's saying? Pay your tithes. <laughs> pay your tithes! Now, here's the thing. He didn't say if it's 20% of your income or 20% of the tithe. That there's, there's a difference there. So, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it seems like much more merciful. If, if you owed $100 tithes, it seems much more merciful to say 20% of that or an extra $20 than to say 20% more of your income, which is an extra $200, so you owe 300 So I don't know. I don't, I, I'm telling you, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know which one it was, but he said add the fifth part to it. But the point was this. Don't miss paying your tithes. You say you can't afford it, I'm telling you God will get it. My pastor instilled this in me many years ago. He talked about his dad was always a faithful tither. And back during the Depression, he received a check one day. He said, always, it was the first thing he'd do is pay his tithe. But he said he had gotten home. His transmission had gone, or, or he'd, had, um, he'd had some problems. It wasn't his transmission. He had some problems. And he said, I just don't have the money to pay my tithe. And, and so he said, I, I hate to do it, but this week I'm just not going to be able to pay my tithe. I'm going to have to spend it somewhere else. I've got to buy groceries. I've got to do something else. So he took it and spent it. Went and got in his car. 
uh, I think the following day or something, and, and that's when the transmission went out on the car. And the cost of repairing the transmission was exactly what his tithe was. Exactly. And he said, you know what? I would rather have given this to God. And he never again missed paying his tithes. So listen to me. Listen to me. In fact, you go back and read the book of Hosea, and God talks about you go, you gather, you put it in bags, but you find out when you get home there's nothing there because the bag had holes in it. That's what he said. God will drill holes in your money bag. Are you listening to me? You don't pay your tithes, God will drill holes in your money bag. And all of a sudden, you can't pay your bills. And you can't make ends meet because you're not paying your tithes. But I want you to understand, 90% with the blessing of God is going to go a whole lot farther than 100% with the curse of God. All right, I'm, I'm quitting. I know you're getting wore out. The mind can only encompass what the seat can endure. So... I'm, I'm coming to a close. In fact, this is my final slide here. Let's see. All right, final slide. So, how does the church survive? What do we do then? If tithing is for the livelihood of the ministry, then how are we supposed to, the church supposed to get along? Well, the church survives through free will offerings. The tabernacle and the temple were built and maintained not by tithes, but by the offering of the people. You can write this down, Exodus 35, verses 4 to 9, and 1 Chronicles 28, 14 through 18. The people gave offerings. It was not from their tithe. And see, here's something you need to understand. You have not given until it is above the tithe. Now, I use this illustration all the time, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it very quickly. Have you got your truck keys with you? No? Yes? All right. We'll get him out of hiding. Here we go. All right. That, that's, that's a very nice F-350 he's got out there. You know what? It is. Very nice pickup truck. Has anybody seen it? It's nice. I mean, leather. It's loaded. Uh, Lariat edition. Is that right? And, and uh, what is it? A one-ton dually? What, what is that? One-ton dually? And, and I mean, it's nice. It's nice. You know what? I've got the key. He just handed me the key to that pickup truck. But you know what? Brandon has been working really hard in the last few months. Since I've been without an assistant pastor, he has really done what he could to pick up the load. He stays late every night. He comes in when he gets off work. He's spending many, many hours here. You know, I, I, I can't afford to pay him like I was paying my assistant. So you know what I'm going to do? I love and appreciate Brandon so much. that Brandon, I'm giving you the keys to an F-350 pickup truck, it's yours. Now, wasn't that kind of me? Wasn't that generous? Does anybody feel like I really did something just then? Why? It was already his, wasn't it? I didn't give him anything. I just returned what already belonged to him. When you write out a tithe check, you're not giving God anything. You're returning the 10% that already belongs to God. So you haven't given God one red cent when you give the tithe. You have not given God until it goes above 10%. Then you're starting to give. It's then and only then that you are giving. Hallelujah. 
Luke 17 and 10. Look at this. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. We're unprofitable because we did our duty. Do you see that? It's your duty to pay tithes. And if that's all you do, you're unprofitable. Now you're going to be lost if you don't do it. But if that's all you do, you're still unprofitable. God expects you to give above your tithe. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, He doesn't tell us how much to give. There are people who preach 5% offerings. I know some preachers that preach that, that you have to give 5%. They call it a half shekel doctrine. And they, they preach that the shekel was the tithe, and so the half shekel was half your tithe. You have to give that. I don't preach that you have to give that. We have people here who do that. And I think that those who do would testify that God's blessed them. In fact, we've got a few people that, that give 10% above their tithe. And I think they'd testify God's blessed them. Well, hallelujah. And, and so, I'm not telling you how, but I do want you to think about this. As I, as I do my best to come to a close, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider the fact that Israel always prepared an offering for the Lord. Numbers chapter 15. I don't have time to read the passage. In fact, Brother Hawkins, go ahead and come. I've, I've got to close. Numbers chapter 15, it talks about taking forth part of a hint of wine for a drink offering and prepare it. Uh, or for a ram, verse 6, thou shalt prepare for a meat offering. And, and for a drink offering, in verse 7, thou shalt offer the third part of a hint of wine, a sweet savor to the Lord. And when thou preparest a bullock. And on and on it talks about preparing an offering. Everyone say preparing an offering. In other words, when the people of Israel came to church, they came expecting to give. They didn't wait till the plate was passed and then reach in their billfold and see what was the smallest. Well, I got a 25 and a 10. I don't really. I'm just. I do have a 10 and a 1. So I'll just give the 1. That's not the way Israel did it. Israel came to church expecting to give God something. And so they prepared. They prepared an offering. They couldn't just go, say, oh, going to church. Better grab the first lamb that I can find. No. Didn't work that way, did it? Didn't. Now, some of them started doing that, but God didn't bless it. But they came to church planning to give. You know what? The ushers shouldn't have to wait on you to write out a check. You, when you get your, is everybody listening to me? When you get your check, your salary check, you ought to sit down and write your tithes and write out an offer and bring that with you to church. You ought to do it. You ought to just plan. I'm bringing an offering to God. I've prepared it. I've sat down and figured out what I want to give God. I've prepared something. I am prepared to give to Him. Israel never gave to God haphazardly. Never. They always prepared something ahead of time and took it with them. Now, let me tell you this. God is not obligated to give to you until you first give to Him. Luke 6 and 38. Let's read this, Brandon. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? 
For with the same measure, the same measure that, you meet, that you meet, with all it all shall, be, shall measured be measured to you, to you again. So here's what God says. God says, before I can determine how much to give you, you're going to have to determine how much you're going to give me. The first word was give. And then it shall be given. And God said, for with whatever measure you use. So, so however you determine. Now God, this is what I'm giving you. God looks at that and he says, then this is what I'll give you. And you know what? God never never does it based on how much you give. He does it based on how much you have left. You know what it was that got the Lord so excited that day as he was sitting there at the treasury? Anybody remember? Now, I'm telling you, you want, you want to talk, you want to really get biblical? Maybe I need to have the ushers just stand down here all the time and me just stand right beside him. That's what Jesus was doing. While they were coming by giving their offerings, Jesus is standing there looking in the basket. He's watching what they put in. So some of those rich dudes, man, they pulled out their Ben Franklins, you know. Now, I know they didn't have Ben Franklins, but you get the picture. They're bringing out their hundred denarii bills or whatever it was. And, and, I mean, they're bringing out the big bucks. And they kind of wave it and make sure it's not wrinkled and pop it a few times. And let Jesus see it and drop it in a smile. And Jesus just yawned and went on. Come by and drop it in by the thousands. The Lord just shrugs. And then this little widow woman comes along and she's got two little mites. And she drops that in. She's probably trying to hide it, trying to cover it up. And Jesus said, Hey, 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 boys, disciples, hey, hey, get over here. I want to show you something. You know, that woman was probably cowering. I'm sorry. I said, He was, I said, I. And Jesus said, let me show you what real giving is all about. All these men have come in and put in their hundreds and their thousands, but they've got hundreds and thousands where all that came from. But this little lady didn't have anything else, and she gave everything she had. Now that gets me excited. It's not... Oh, hear me. Hear me. We've got too many people that want to give if they can stand and say, see what I gave? Call my name out publish my giving on the internet put it out somewhere for folks to see put me a little plaque a gold plaque out on the hall and show everybody I'm a contributor then they'll give but the Lord's not impressed with what you give he's impressed with what you have left when you get through giving and if you're giving out of your abundance the Lord just yawns at that but if you're giving out of your emptiness you're giving sacrificially then it moves the heart so I'm just, I'm telling you, God looks to us. He measures our blessings based on how we measure our giving. We often want God to bless us so we can give. You ever thought about this? We often want God to bless us so we can give. But we should give so God will bless us. Seraphith who was gathering sticks and the preacher walked up to her and he said ma'am I'll tell you what I want you to do I want you to go fix me something to eat she said sir I have 
just enough food left to feed my son and myself. And this is going to be our last meal. We have no income. We have no way of getting any more. There's a famine in the land. When we finish this meal, we're going to die. He said, ma'am, go fix me something to eat. Stingy old preacher. Selfish old preacher. Taken from the widows. Taken from the poor. Hey, listen. He didn't hurt that lady by what he did. Remember the story? Everybody else is starving to death. But this little lady, every time she went back to the barrel, there was more meal there. And every time she went back to the cruise, there was more oil there. You want to know why? Because she gave what she had for the cause of God. God's kingdom. God will take care of us. If the widow had not been willing to give, she would not have been able to live. Well, praise God. Let's stand. So, so church, listen to me. We need to be faithful in our tithing. But we need to do more than tithe. In fact, in fact, I don't have time to go into it, but Paul actually taught giving based on percentages. He really did. He said that we ought to lay by us in store based on how God prospers. And that was not talking about tithe in that passage. He was talking about an offering they were going to receive. And even in, their, in our offerings, it ought to be based on percentages. I'm not preaching 5% or 10%, but I'm telling you, really, you ought to, dis, you really ought to determine a percentage and say, this is what I'm going to give to God. You know why? Because if there's more this week, you give more. If there's less this week, you give less. But you're giving consistently based on a percentage. And it keeps you from just reaching in your billfold and pulling out the $1 bill or the $0.50 piece or whatever smallest. You've already determined. You sit down. You've got your salary check. And you've determined. I'm going to give... X percent to God. 1%, 2%, 5%, 10%. I'm going to give that above my tithe. So I'm going to write out my check. I know exactly how much I'm going to And then watch God bless you. Watch Him do it. He will do it, saints. I promise you. We, we, we've got to quit. I've got to quit. I've got to let you go. There's one thing I forgot to say on the subject of tithing, and I want to make sure that this, this lesson covers all the bases question always comes up, what about gross or net? Do I pay tithes on my gross income or my net income? Well, the Bible says you pay tithes on your increase. So what is your increase? That's the question. How much are you increased? Now, you know, I can't, I can't take you to the Bible because people that are self-employed, you know, how do they figure a tithe? I mean, if, if somebody goes and paints a house, do they pay tithe on the check they get for painting the house even though it cost them to buy the paint? I mean, let's, let's stop and think about it. Well, you know, I don't think they do that. I think it's the increase. Whatever it costs them to do business is not an increase. Everybody follow me? 
So I can't really prove to you scripturally one way or the other. But here's the way I look at it. If I go down here and apply for a job at Herkimer's um, gift shop, and, and, and Herkimer says, look, I'm going to pay you $10 an hour. It's all right, I'll work for $10 an hour. How much am I making? If somebody asks me how much are you making, what's the answer? I'm making $10 an hour, right? Now, I don't bring home $10 an hour. But I tell everybody I'm making $10 an hour. That's what he's paying me. I don't see all of it, but that's what he's paying me. So for me, if I'm getting paid $10 an hour, I just feel like I owe God a dollar an hour. Because that's what I agreed to work for. Now, I know I don't see all that money, and I know Uncle Sam takes a big chunk of it. I understand that, but for me, I'm just telling you for me. If I say I'm making $10 an hour, then I feel like I owe God a dollar an hour. Um, but I'll say this. Somebody asked this question one time, said, Do you pay tithes on gross or net? Well, let me answer your question with a question. Do you want God to give you a gross blessing or a net blessing? Because he's going to bless you based on how you give. The old preacher that taught on tithing had a man stand up and say, Well, preacher, look, I bought a cow for so many dollars. cost me so much at the vet. cost me so much for hay. cost me so much for uh, keeping her. And, and cost me so much to have her bread. And then, and then cost me so much to have her slaughtered. And, and then I sold all the meat. And so how much do I owe God? And that old country preacher stood there for a while. And finally he said, You know, I ain't smart enough to figure out all that math you gave me. But this much I know. If you cut it close on God, God's going to cut it close on you. So you know what that means? It's, it's on your shoulders what you're going to do when it comes to paying tithes. I will tell you this. If you only pay on net and you get a tax return, you owe tithes on that. I don't see any way around it. Now, if you pay on gross, you don't owe on a tax return. You already paid tithes on that money. And it's just getting, unless, unless, let me back up, unless. We're talking about earned income credit, that kind of stuff. I mean, anymore, the IRS gives away money to some people. Just There's people that don't pay taxes that get returns. Get, they do. That, those kind of cases, you get back more than you paid in, you owe tithes on some of that. Well, God bless you tonight. I think we've covered the gamut in about two hours. Hallelujah. I don't know how long it took, but I know you're done. So am I. This weekend, let's be faithful to God's house. Let's come expecting something great to happen. I tell you, you're going to be blessed by Brother Johnson. There is no question about it. You're going to be blessed by the ministry of...